Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's less than a week until there's supposed to be yet another vote in Parliament on the Theresa May Brexit withdrawal agreement. And after a flurry of meaningless talks in Brussels, the Prime Minister is off for some more meaningless behaviour in Ireland uh, with their Taoiseach Leo Varadkar. Uh, that's coming up later on today, but don't hold your breath. The real story today is the self-destruction of the Labour Party. Ponty Preed MP Owen Smith has broken ranks and declared that he's thinking of leaving uh, the esteemed organisation. And we are reliably informed that he here at the Independent Republic, that he's not the only one with such traitorous thoughts about the Labour Party. Meanwhile, a group called Another Europe is Possible is plotting to deselect around 30 Corbyn-supporting MPs and others who voted against the Yvette Cooper Amendment last week if they vote in support of any deal proposed by Theresa May. In essence, the Labour Party is tearing itself apart. It's eating itself, and there are plenty who believe it might not actually survive the whole Brexit scenario. 0344 If you're a Labour voter, I'd love to hear from you because I've been talking to a lot of Labour voters this week, many of whom are saying they're never going to vote Labour again because Labour is supporting Theresa May and the Brexit deal that they voted against. On the other hand, of course, there are many Labour constituencies, particularly in the north of England, who voted to leave the European Union. We know that Jeremy Corbyn is essentially a Leaver, but he pretends that he's a Remainer. What is going on? Uh, 0344 We'll find out from John Rental uh, what he makes of it all. Coming up, we'll be looking into the disaster that is the British horse racing business. Uh, It's been thrown into chaos since the outbreak of equine flu and now Cheltenham Festival uh, is under threat as well. Plus, we'll be talking hangovers, of course. It's Friday. 0344 499 1000 and we'll also have yet another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards, a weekly homage to my brilliance in broadcasting. I'm expecting to win quite a few this week. Uh, You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
So imagine the scene where you have a political party where absolutely nobody really agrees with anybody else inside of it. Now, normally speaking, you might think that that would be healthy for democracy, but unfortunately, it's not healthy for democracy because the people who disagree with each other don't talk to the people they don't agree with. They don't have a debate about anything. They just regard each other as wrongons. They decide that if you don't agree with me, uh, I'm not going to get in the same room with you. I'm not going to get in the same car with you. I'm not even going to go to the same bar as you inside the House of Commons. In fact, I'm going to avoid you and I'm going to try and make sure that you have absolutely no influence whatsoever uh, on the outcome of anything that we do. That's basically what Jeremy Corbyn has done to the Labour Party. And in my view, I think he's killing it. 0344 499 1000. And for no other reason than to have a decent opposition, I wish he wasn't doing it. Let's talk to John Rental, Chief Political Commentator for The Independent, a man who's followed uh, the political uh, ups and downs of this country for many a decade and who knows the Labour Party and how it works. John, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Hello, Mike. Well, well, here we are. An introduction. Well, here we are. Um, I'm sorry uh, if it sounds a little bit doom and gloom-like that the Labour Party is finished, but I wonder um, if it will survive the Brexit process. I wonder, you know, exactly what will happen if these people who threatened deselection of various MPs are going to do it. You know, they're saying that the yeah. people who didn't vote uh, with the Yvette Cooper amendment last week in the House of Commons are all, uh, you know, in some kind of danger if they vote for the, the Theresa May Brexit withdrawal agreement. I mean, it's a mess, isn't it? Uh, it is. Well, I mean, the, the, that's a different group of people because, I mean, you've got uh, you, you've got the Owen Smith and the Chukaramunas and the Luciana Berg, Berger yeah. tendency who uh, who are regarded by the Corbynites as uh, as beyond the pale. Mm. And yeah, but they've also targeted there. old uh, the Beast of Bolsover, haven't they, um, Dennis Skinner, uh, because he oh, voted no, he against him. Yeah, but he's a Corbyn supporter. I know. So they can't. They can't. They can't do anything about him. And actually, no. But, but the thing is, Jeremy Corbyn is is accused by the uh, by the pro EU lot of being too soft on the on the on the Brexity tendency. Uh, but the, this is know, the problem. Several front benchers who who didn't who didn't vote who defied the Labour whip uh, last week and didn't vote on the uh, on the Cooper amendment, uh, and no action was taken against them. Right. And. Uh, but that's, but that's where the problem lies, isn't it, John? Because everybody's at everybody else's throat, literally. I mean, there is nobody who agrees with anybody else. <laughs> They're just as divided as the Tory party. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, there's, the there's, nobody as yet inside, there's nobody as yet inside the Tory party threatening to leave it and set something else up. Because you and I have spoken oh, about this well. before, where we may see ourselves, uh, you know, finding uh, a different way forward post-Brexit. Because, you know, the Labour Conservative sort of lines of demarcation may no longer be relevant. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, I, I think that's that's right. I mean, but you've got to separate the Brexit effect from the Corbyn effect. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people who just don't like the direction uh, Corbyn's taking the party, you and me included. Mm. Um, and you know, they. But I mean, you know, how, how long do these people need? I mean, they've had uh, they've had three, four years nearly. Yeah. Um, and you know, they're still there. So, you know, I mean, I suspect some of them are going to go, but I think it's probably going to be a fairly small, uh, a small breakaway. Um, you know, there are lots of there are lots of Labour MPs who don't actually see a future in politics for them anyway yeah. under, under, under Corbyn, even if even if Jeremy Corbyn was going to win the next election. I mean, they, you know, there's no, there's no future for them, so they might as well. Uh, leave the Labour Party and stand under their own uh, their own their own. Colour. But how would you see, for that example, would be the brave thing to do? Yeah, I mean, it would be brave, and and you know, once maybe one person does it, it might be a kind of a, a domino effect, and others might have the have the have the same thought. But I mean, how does it break down? If you are, for example, somebody like Owen Smith, you know, he's got a pretty big majority uh, down there in South Wales. If in fact he was to stand as an independent, would he carry that seat, or would the Labour machine kind of kick in and 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 make it, you know, literally, you know, stick a red rose? on any anything and it will beat him 
Well, that is the, that's the lesson of the STP breakaway in uh, 1981, mm. 82. I mean, that, you know, the, they, there they had huge media support, uh, lots of money, um, a lot of public opinion uh, behind them, and yet they were still crushed at the next uh, the next election, the 1983 election, which was, you know, Labour was led by Michael Foote. It was an absolute shambles. Uh, and yet, you know, Labour tribal loyalty in the electorate kicked in, uh, and the SDP emerged with 23 seats, I think, with, yeah. the, with, the, with the Liberals, mm. uh, even though they had a quarter of the, of the, of the national vote. And that, that lesson is obviously uh, uppermost in, in a lot of Labour MPs' minds. But, I mean, my view on that is I just, you know, I don't think these people think that there's a, a new centre party waiting to be born. I mean, mm. I think they, you know, they, they as I say, they, they don't have a future in politics. They might as well stand um, under their own true colours and, uh, and stand up for what they believe in. And just have a series of, of independence in Parliament. But it'd be interesting to see as well whether they think it might be better to hang around and wait and see if the Labour Party changes back to a more centrist party once they've all worked out that Jeremy Corbyn can't win an election. Yeah, but that's going to take a very long time, that mm. process, isn't it? Because, I mean, if the next election is not until 2022... Um, uh, you know, then it's not going to be until sometime after that that the, the Labour Party might come to its senses, uh, in in, yeah. in, in for, from my point of view. Uh, but I mean, I just think you know, that's too long for for a lot of people to wait. I mean, I do remember Tony Blair actually. You know, when he when he first entered Parliament in '83, you know, he looked at it and he just thought, you know, how long is this going to take? And it mm. did take a very long time. But I mean, he was actually quite well well positioned then but he also had a strategy didn't he i mean which yeah. was to get rid of clause four uh, to take the, the party more to the towards the center uh, and to make it electable which is what he did and, and ever since then it hasn't been <laughs> you know absolutely well absolutely and uh, but there's nobody there's there's no sort of credible leader of that caliber um coming forward now and actually there, there isn't a program for them to to stand on particularly either because but I mean, because Brexit gets in the way of everything. Well, it does, and, and also their, their policy. All these divisions. Their policy on Brexit now is laughable, isn't it? Because it's basically well, uh, if we don't get uh, the agreement that we want, uh, everything else is on the table. And I mean, I watched it again last night on Question Time, where uh, Fiona Bruce was trying to pin the Labour representative down and say, well, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. You know, well, it means that, you know, a second referendum is on the table. In what way? You know, is it so that yeah, you can well, want one? Is it uh, so that you can kill it off? What? You know, they won't exactly. say. Well, absolutely. And, and Jeremy Corbyn, I mean, the reason this is also bubbling up now is, you know, Jeremy Corbyn wrote, wrote a letter to the Prime Minister the day before yesterday uh, where he where he didn't even mention the second referendum and he just talked about Labour's demands for a Brexit deal, and so, so he's nailing his colours to the to the Brexit mast. You know, when when his members are expecting him to start shifting now uh, away from what they regard as a Tory Brexit, mm. you know, they they regard Brexit as a as, as a Tory idea, and they want Labour to oppose it. Uh, but he's he's still sticking with the policy they had at the the, at the election. Of, uh, of accepting the result of the 2016 referendum. Right. Yeah, I mean, that is the problem, isn't it? Because, again, with, with Labour um, seats, you know, you've got the inner cities that have remained, you've got the, uh, the, the, the perhaps the more uh, northerly-based uh, working-class seats, which are leave. You know, they yeah. can't square the circle. I don't see how they can do it. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't see how Theresa May can hold her party together either. I mean, you know... I well, winning will... tends to be a much more sort of unifying <laughs> force than losing, doesn't it? Well, yeah, but I mean, is she actually going to get a deal through? I well, think she I mean, is. That's the, that's the question. Well, I think if she does, then, yeah, she'll she'll be all right. But I mean, I think she might well lose some some Tory MPs from her party if, if, if that happens. Mm. Um, but, I what, mean, you I mean think... the Reese Moggs of this world will give up being a staunch Tories? I don't see that happening. Well, 
Well, one one or two of them might. Yeah. I mean, you know, because they regard her deal as such a sellout to yeah. to Brussels. Um, and you might actually see a couple of pro-Europeans um, uh, falling off the other end. Although I think that's again that's unlikely. I mean, even Kenneth Clark thinks that her deal's okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but I mean, so I think there will be well, there will be people people lost from both parties, but they'll be they'll be small small in number. And then you know, if if we do leave, uh, you know, at the end of March or or fairly soon after that, then I think then politics will, will change, and I think Brexit will become less important. I mean, obviously, the Brexit argument is going to go on, yeah. rolling on through British politics, but I think I think the, the, then in, in the Labour the Labour Party is going to have to decide about, you know, re- deselecting these MPs. I mean, a lot of that's going to, going to happen this year. Well, this seems to be um, coming from some a mob called Another Europe is Possible, led by a guy called Michael Chesham, who I don't know, uh, but he's a former member, apparently, of the Momentum Steering Group. Yeah, well, he's the, he, he wants to deselect pro-EU MPs. Yes, does he? that's um, right. Yeah, he's the guy yeah. apparently that's put this list together of people who are who include Corbynistas like Dennis Skinner, uh, but also anybody else uh, like John Mann who voted against the Yvette Cooper amendment. Right. Yeah. No. Well, we'll 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 see what happens with that. I mean, you know, I'll be, so far there's been an awful lot of noise about deselection, but yeah. not not very much action. And actually, if you look at seats that have become vacant. Uh, momentum have done rather badly in, mm. in in getting their candidates selected, and actually most of the candidates who are who are successful in these in in those places are sort of mainstream Labour sort yeah. of non Corbynites. Right. What what I find interesting as well, I was talking to a couple of Labour people uh, over the last couple of days, and and there is a great deal of disquiet in the party, parliamentary party particularly, and the fact that this morning we rang Owen Smith, he said no, thank you, didn't want to talk about it. Nobody in a senior sort of position as a supporter of Jeremy Corbyn wanted to come on and talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. That tells me there's something up. Well, Being yeah, of a suspicious a, nature, the party's in a very fractious state. Yeah, I mean, you know. No, Owen Smith has, has, has said his piece. He said he could he could leave the party, which you know, I mean, we'll we'll believe that when we see it. Mm. I mean, is it, I mean, it, it does strike me as a bit strange. You know, he stood for the leadership only three years ago mm. uh, on a sort of uh, anti-Brexit ticket. Yeah, um, and he did respectably well. I mean, he got thirty thirty percent of the vote. Yeah. So you know, that cause is not is not lost. So you know, it seems it strikes me as a bit strange to be talking about leaving the party now, when you know the party's always been um, sort of pro pro Brexit in its sort of formal policy. It's mm. always, but it's always had this sort of fallback position of uh, of possibly having this option of a second referendum. But I mean, nobody thinks that Jeremy Corbyn believes that. Well, let's have a listen to Jeremy Corbyn because it's a special treat for you, John, this morning. We're going to let you hear once again what he said uh, when the Lisbon Treaty was being discussed. I remember that day, just like Thomas, when the last Irish referendum result came through in the British Parliament. Uh, ministers started saying, we're going to have to look again at this. Hmm? Hang on. What business of the British Parliament is it how the Irish people decide to vote, yeah? And under the terms of the Lisbon Treaty, Europe will become subservient to the wishes of NATO and the aims of NATO. We are creating for ourselves here one massive great Frankenstein which will damage all of us in the long run. What it does is creates this military machine, this military Frankenstein, which will be so damaging to all of us. There we are. So now we know what he really thinks. Military Frankenstein. 
Yeah, I mean, well, he doesn't know his Frankenstein myth. <laughs> I mean, you know, Frankenstein was the doctor, but I mean, uh, he, you know, he's he's now that is proper. That is proper inner labour quibbling. That is, you know, <laughs> he's calling the monster Frankenstein. He doesn't know the story. It's true, but wouldn't no, you know? I mean, you know, the, the, well, I mean, you know, Jeremy Corbyn is, you know, his sense his sense of humour. I find, uh, you well, know, he hasn't great, got one, has he? Well, but he was trying to be funny there. You yeah. know, oh, you know, sort of, you know, how can we British tell the Irish how to vote? But I mean, what what it reveals is, you know, he's he's, he's fundamentally anti-EU, um, although he pretends to have sort of become reconciled to it since. Yeah. Uh, and he's also against the principle of, of, of running, uh, re-running referendums. Mm. I mean, that's, that, that, that was the, the key point that came across there. Um, and that is still the case. I mean, there is no, I mean, I think it's very unlikely that Jeremy Corbyn will, will ever support a, a second referendum, mm. except possibly at the very last minute when it's too late and there's, and there's obviously not enough support for it yeah. in the House of Commons. Exactly. Well, it was an interesting tweet that went out yesterday, I think it was, over the, uh, you know, sort of having let the dust settle on, on Donald Tusk's remarks about hell, uh, in which it was pointed out that what everybody's missing about what Donald Tusk said is that basically he is now officially killed off any likelihood of a second referendum and any likelihood well, uh, of any sort of remain option because it's not happening. Well, he didn't. He doesn't have any power over that. But I mean, he was he was just acting as a commentator and observing mm. that there isn't a majority for it in the House of Commons, and no. that, that's that is absolutely right. Even if Jeremy Corbyn uh, turned the Labour Party's official line to support a referendum, uh, I don't think it would it would it would win because I think there are enough Labour MPs who would peel off. Uh, there are more Labour MPs who would peel off from the Labour Party than there are Tory supporters of a referendum, such as you know Anna Subri and that lot, who would who would come over. So I think I think it would be defeated. Mm. It's going to be a fascinating few weeks, isn't it? I mean, my impression of next Thursday, where we will be back in the tent of shame, I imagine, down in Westminster, um, is that it's not actually going to happen. It's not going to be very meaningful at all on Thursday, uh, Valentine's Day. Well, no, it's just going to be a rerun of. The uh, you know the, when they, when they voted on all those all those amendments with 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 letters letters on them you know A B and N I remember were the ones I remember there was the Graham Brady amendment was was Amendment N they're going to do all that again and you know this time the Yvette Cooper plan might succeed I mean it was defeated by 23 votes last time but only because a number of Tories were persuaded uh, not to not to vote for it because they would have another chance later well you know they're beginning to run out of time and you've got Stephen Hammond the health minister saying he might resign from the government in order to vote for the Cooper Amendment. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be all very bizarre stuff. But listen, uh, John, as ever, thank you very much indeed. John Rental, uh, Chief Political Commentator for The Independent. Always worth reading your stuff uh, coming up over the weekend, of course. Harry says this, if the Labour Party or any other one uh, come to that, we're 100% behind Brexit, I would vote for them. But try and fool us and we will see through it. We need honest politics. And Steve says, Corbyn's self-serving political games have made Labour unelectable. I haven't a clue what he does actually stand for. And I think that is the problem. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number to call in on. Uh, Labour, of course, uh, are 
pulling themselves apart, tearing themselves apart over Brexit, amongst other things, but also on the direction uh, of travel that they wish to go in, because Jeremy Corbyn uh, and his Corbynistas want to drag the party more to the left. Uh, you've got the Chucky Amunas of this world, uh, who had his opportunity to run for leader, but decided he didn't fancy the scrutiny and decided he didn't want to do it. Uh, he's trying to drag them back to the centre, uh, thereby making them more right-wing uh, than ever. Caroline Flint uh, also similarly doesn't like the idea of becoming this kind of mad special interest group that the Labour Party appears to have become. We'd love to hear from Labour Party voters, though, uh, who are now thinking, do you know what? I don't really fancy voting for them ever again. 0344 499 1000. And in this country, we deserve a decent opposition. Surely we should have somebody to stand up to this not particularly brilliant government because they're not doing a great job either, by the way. Uh, we'll come back to that in a moment, though, because right now we're going to speak to Rupert Bell, uh, who is TalkSport's racing correspondent, who I imagine at the moment is rather twiddling his thumbs because there ain't any racing going on. Rupert, a very good morning to you. Uh, yeah, very good morning, Mike. Yes, I am twiddling my thumbs, but I will go and see Aston Villa tonight because I've got. No... <laughs> so, oh, well, um, maybe we'll which... talk to you later on then. Yeah, I think you might. I maybe, but uh, uh, in terms of racing, I had hoped to be going to Warwick yeah. uh, tomorrow. Um, you know, and um, I, I just had hoped to be sort of getting anticipating the build-up to the Cheltenham Festival, but yeah. clearly events are, uh, have taken a rather different course. Well, they have. I mean, equine flu, uh, not something I'm terribly familiar with, but apparently it's very, very contagious. Uh, it can be passed by humans uh, to horses as well. So they've taken what I suppose you might say is, is the sensible step of, of suspending all activity, the British Horse Racing Authority. But, I mean, this must be costing a fortune, not just to the race courses and to the jockeys and to the trainers and everybody else, but also to the betting companies in this country. Absolutely. I, I think it, uh, racing is a big industry, the sort of knock on, you know, not only, as you say, the race courses and Newbury was going to yeah. hold a big Chesterwell, Ch Cheltenham Festival preview day tomorrow. But obviously racing happens 24-7. Mm. Um, so obviously from a betting point of view and the levy that that generates for racing will have an impact on that. And the longer, <coughs> excuse me, it goes on, the more you know, racing will suffer. So it's it's not good. But I suppose you have to applaud the BHA the way they've taken a very positive approach. They haven't sort of sort of been wishy-washy in what they're suggesting. They said, right, we've got to close down. We've got to test every yard who had runners at Air and Ludlow and the impact that have. And until we get a clean bill of health, we won't resume racing. But obviously, and as indicated, Cheltenham Festival is round the corner. And that is the biggest meeting outside of Royal Ascot in this country in terms of the impact it has. Right to the economy. And I mean, is Wednesday a, a day that they've sort of picked out of the air as a hopefully we can uh, end all this by Wednesday? Why Wednesday? What do they think that that's going to happen between now and then? I think that's the time for them to be able to get all the tests done. For instance, Nicky Henderson, Ziad, he's got a, 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 a huge string of horses there. So, so all those swabs have to go to Newmarket mm. to be analysed. So that's just one. So it just is a time thing. So I think they're just really saying, right, we need to be 100 percent sure and try and minimize the risk. Now, trainers who've had horses running at air and love, they'll say at the moment their horses are fine. But it's there is an incubation period before the symptoms will manifest itself. And, and that is the, the issue at stake here. But fingers crossed they can solve it. But uh, uh, my sort of approach to it, and I think what they're suggesting is it's short term pain for long term gain, because if they don't do and make an aggressive attempt to uh, uh, control it, then it could lead to more problems. Because right. just not forget, it's not just racing, 
it's the horse industry across all aspects right. of horse, the horse world who could be affected. And what about a vaccine of some kind? I mean, I know this may sound a bit ridiculous, but we've got a human flu vaccine. You can get a flu shot, flu jab. I mean, can they give horses a flu jab oh, to stop them getting it? The thing is, they've all been inoculated. But like human flu, you know, you get different strains. And, and then also the bug becomes resistant. So the Donald McCain yard, all, all their horses had been inoculated, but they got a slightly different strain. Yeah. And that's the problem. Just as in humans, flu virus is a very clever beast and can uh, sort of adapt. And that, and we've had a very mild winter. Now, it might have been lovely for us to not be rugged up, but what a, a sharp frost does, it gets rid of all the bugs, both uh, and and flu viruses and things. And we just haven't had a, a normal winter as far as that is concerned. So those are some of the factors that have led to this probably developing. But they need. But it's only three horses that have found so far to have failed. But the nature, as you said at the introduction, this is a very contagious um, disease. And from the point of view of the bookies, and, you know, we all know them uh, to be fine, upstanding members of the uh, commercial businesses of this country. I mean, are they ratcheting up uh, uh, their betting sort of books in other areas to make up for the fact that nobody's going to be betting on horses? Well, I mean, they're still racing in Ireland. So, you know, that there is still something for people to get uh, their, their teeth into. But, of course, it's not British racing. Mm. And, of course, the, you know, the revenue generated from racing for, it goes to the industry, the levy. So, yes, they will no doubt be taking a commercial approach. And, obviously, you know, football betting we know is increasing. And, you know, it will have an impact. And, and the way that sports betting is going now, more and more people are turning to rate to other sports to bet on, whether it be football, golf, tennis, you name it, other than racing. And racing has to fight for its corner. So things like this don't help if people don't get their chance, not necessarily on a daily basis, mm. but on a Saturday afternoon when the racing's on uh, ITV, you know, they they it, they may look elsewhere. So it, it is a problem. So really racing doesn't want this to drag out. And it's certainly doesn't want it to drag out that we end up with not having a Cheltenham Festival. No, that would be absolutely disastrous for all sorts of reasons. Rupert, thanks very much indeed. Rupert Bell, TalkSport's racing correspondent, uh, also for his sins, an Aston Villa fan. We'll talk to you later uh, on the Two Mike Show on TalkSport uh, after Aston Villa. Uh, either win or lose, who can say? But, I mean, it is a serious story. It's not just because uh, you're interested in horse racing, and if you're not interested in horse racing, it doesn't matter, because it's a massive commercial industry, and it's a massive commercial industry in the betting business as well. And so there's going to be all sorts of tax receipts down. The government will be collecting less money. We're going to be talking about almost a week of no revenue whatsoever coming in uh, from the horse racing business. And that is, I tell you what, in the tens and maybe the hundreds of millions of pounds uh, that the government is missing out on. So hopefully uh, they can get it right and hopefully it won't affect Cheltenham, but we shall see. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, we're going to take a sidestep uh, because there's a rather unfortunate headline, I would say, in the papers this morning uh, regarding Tavistock, a beautiful little town uh, in Devon. Uh, maybe little is not the word to describe it, but it's being described in uh, Metro as Britain's angriest town. They didn't want a McDonald's. Uh, what's wrong with that? And now they don't want a Premier Inn. Well, I don't think that's a terrible thing to, uh, to, to have to aspire to, is it? Let's talk to Steve Hipsey, uh, who is, of course, uh, one of the campaigners against the Premier Inn moving in. Steve, very good morning to you. Welcome. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, I would not call um, people wanting uh, to keep the kind of the facade and, and, the, and, the, and the traditions of a town angry. I think you're just trying to maintain something that's rather uh, worth having, aren't you? Yeah, I think that the whole idea of uh, us being the angriest town in Britain is, is, is uh, very far from the mark. Um, I don't know whether you've ever been to Tavistock, I'm sure. Do you know, I think I've driven through it at some point. Yeah. I don't think I've ever stayed there. Yeah, well, it's the sort of town that um, it's lovely, but you you, you know, might not uh, remember us for the rest of your life. But um, it, it's a cracking little place, although it doesn't look like it at the moment. It's blowing a hoolie and pouring down with rain. <laughs> what's its most um, famous kind of um, thing? I mean, if you said, if I, if I said to you, what's Tavistock got that you can't get anywhere else? Well, well, let me tell you this. You're saying about rain. I'm not doing us any favours here, but uh, apparently uh, Charles I uh, said, um, this is apocryphal, but... Um, if it's raining anywhere in my kingdom, it's raining in Tavistock. <laughs> That's not particularly good. Uh, no, so it's a bit wet then, uh, in other words. Uh, that apart, it, it, it's a wonderful little place. It's right on the edge of Dartmoor. Right. Um, it, it, it's a friendly town. Uh, people know each other. Uh, we have lots of lovely tourists in the in the, uh, in the summer, particularly. We get a lot of Dutch and German. You know, the, uh, I see Dutch here. cars in the West Country all the time whenever I'm down yeah. there. They love the West Country, don't they? Yeah, somebody told me it's something to do with Rosamond Pilcher, which is which is sad given the recent news. But really? Okay. Um, anyway. Um, so, what happened with McDonald's first of all? How did you stop them getting well, in? Well, to be honest, I mean McDonald's is is, is water well under the bridge. Um, uh-huh. That was ten, fifteen years ago. Uh, a, a McDonald's set up here didn't do very well. They closed it. There, right. There's no story there. Uh, the thing about the Premier Inn, though, is um, it's actually. Uh, a lot more sort of multi-dimensional than uh, than that simple headline sure. angriest town in 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 England actually uh, actually portrays. Um, as I said, we we, we know we don't hate anybody. We don't hate um, Premier Inn. In fact, nobody's actually confirmed it's Premier Inn, but right. we pretty much know it is. I'm, I must now, confess, I'm not that keen on Premier Inns. I have to tell you. I mean, well, I know they do the job, but I mean, you know, I wouldn't want one next to me either. I'd say in them, they're fine. They do their job. They're not imposing themselves on us. I can't stand um, the uh, the stuff that they give you to use as soap. It's stuck to the wall. I can't stand that. Yeah, uh, no, no. This, this is this is a much uh, more complex situation than than them just moving in and 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 being an eyesore. Uh, and there's a, a strong flavour of the per- perversion of local democracy here as well, uh, which I'll explain if I may. Yes. Um, well, first of all. Um, Again, you know, the whole thing about Tavistock is it's, there's a very fine balance here. 
um, as I said before, we love the tourists. The tourists come here because it's a great place. You know, we don't have anything amazing, but we are um, a World Heritage Site. You know, we, we, we rank alongside the pyramids and uh, the Great Wall of China, believe it or not, wow. in the sort of list of UNESCO um, assets. Um, and, and there, there is the, the real nub of the problem. It's, it's a balance between... Um, what we provide for people coming in and what we, you know, we live here all the time. So the the the, the, the Premier Inn that is being uh, considered uh, would be built on a very, very important car park, which is right on the edge right. uh, of this this uh, World Heritage Site. Mm. Um, it's, uh, the reason I say it's important is the whole sort of lifeblood of, of Tavistock, it's like the veins of the place pump around, and it's parking is the issue. Yeah, um, you know, in the summer it's packed, in the winter it's pretty packed. You know, because people come in from the surrounding villages to our shops, and we've got lots of little independent shops. We've got a lovely pannier market, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I'm looking now, at your sort of high street, which seems like a lovely sort of um, you know hill going down into into yeah. what looks like a sort of Norman keep of a church but i mean the problem is nowadays if if you are trying to come into a town like yours from the outskirts you have to drive because there's no other way of getting there is it oh yeah that's that's very true uh and, and, and parking is an issue um unfortunately mm. now the, the the local authority dimension to all this is our borough council <coughs> have decided it would appear several years ago that they were going to get on this bandwagon where you know a lot of um Local authorities are now borrowing money from the government at low rates yeah. in order to invest elsewhere in the country uh, in an attempt to fill the, the local budget gap. Um, and a, there's a lot of councils that are, are being criticised for doing that outside their area. Now our borough council have decided to do it in Tavistock. Mm. They're behind the Premier Inn plan. They want to put the Premier Inn in the town to make some money fill the gap. Now, a lot of people in town actually don't have an issue with that. It's the location of people. Yeah. So imagine this five-story purple palace is going to be built on one of the most important um, car parks. Is there such a thing as an important car park? Yeah, <laughs> the important car parks in town. Now, we're going to lose 57 parking places because of that. Right. Fun in are going to bring, I think it's an 80-bedroom um hotel they're going to bring obviously a lot of guests and very few of them are actually going to be giving parking spaces on site so there lies the number of the problem um let me give you a, a really small sort of uh example of the disruption that will happen um the local school which is again it's a lovely old place that's you know, been built years and years ago there is no parking at this school so the local um, parents, they bring the kids in. They've got this little arrangement. They can drop them off in this car park, right. stay for 10 minutes, pick them up again at the end of the day. Well, that what sounds eminently sensible. Yeah. So what, so what will they do when, when, when this, this edifice is, is built? Right. Um, so where is it at the moment, though, Steve? Because we haven't got a great deal of time. What, what, yeah. uh, what sort of stage well, of development is it all at? Well, uh, uh, I, was, I was thinking there's an analogy here. <laughs> um, it's a bit like a president who has a perfectly good... Um, democratic uh, criteria, wanting to build a wall against all financial and, and sensible advice. Mm. Do you see where I'm coming from? I do see where you're coming from. I wasn't so sure we, we were going to get into we an have... argument about Donald Trump while yeah, discussing well, we've got, we've the world's angriest town. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we've, we've got a cabal of uh, perhaps you know three or four uh, councillors here who want to impose this on us. 
They've been considering it for seven years. They told us last week. They told the rest of their councillors last week. It's going to go through um, consideration, financial consideration, on Tuesday. Hmm. So, you know, how, how, does that, how is that democratic? How can three or four councillors uh, spend all this money, and believe me, it's a silly amount of yeah. money, uh, to get this thing in against the general feeling of the population, um, yeah, they shouldn't be allowed to do that. That's absolutely outrageous. Steve, listen, I'm going to let you go. But I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll come back to you and see how it all goes because I'd like to keep up with this. Steve Hipsey, I'm all in favour uh, of local community activism. I'm all in favour of holding politicians and councillors to account. And I think that's exactly what Steve is doing. Uh, so well played to you, Steve. And hopefully uh, they will see sense. But if they don't see sense, uh, then we may have to have a word with them and see whether we can encourage them to see sense. It's Friday. It's 12.33. It's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. I'm still not used to this music. <laughs> I know it's not new anymore. Is that a new voice as well? No, it's always Has been, been here Ben as well? Fletcher, yeah. Oh, it's hopeless, isn't it? It's unbelievable. <laughs> the voice you can hear, of course, is Con Mendez, the producer of this show, a man who is uh, not unused to winning applaudits for all kinds of activities, including, uh, but not limited to, uh, reading out loud. Um, <laughs> yeah. You've become the new Dawn Neeson after last week, I'm yeah. afraid. But uh, on you go. What have you got for yes. us? Yes. Hello and welcome to the <laughs> Perry Awards, which has been dubbed in our office as good as a treat to the ears as the boy called Eamon Trump. Trail. Uh, this is where we cast our ears back over the past week of the so-called independent so republic called. of Mike Graham and choose our favourite moments. So let's find out who's got their hands on the prestigious awards this week. As is tradition, mm. Mike, you, you win the first Fantastic. one. Fantastic. Uh, you win the, the Perry Award for wrong name of, this, of the week for the double hit when speaking to Ben Clatworthy from The Times. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've got lots more to do here. Uh, right now, we're going to talk to, Blen, uh, to Ben Clatworthy, travel writer at The Times. Let's find out from Glenn, uh, from Ben why this is happening. Ben, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Sorry I keep calling you Glenn. I think I'm having a problem right. with my mouth this morning. <laughs> You know when you get it wrong once, you just keep getting it wrong. Rather mm. cheeky of you, by yeah. the way, to suggest that me getting a name wrong is the first period, but I'll yeah, take it. Yeah, it's the first for a reason. Yeah. Uh, but fair play, at least, that you gave it a go. The winner of the No Namer Award goes to Richard Maidley. I mean, I have to say that it goes against all my instincts um, as a road user. I mean, as I was saying to the previous presenter. The previous presenter? He's only part-time here as well. I'm going to put the block on him. <laughs> He's not coming back next week, as far as I know. Um, employment lawyer Philip Landau wins the Perry Award for the person most surprised to be on the radio. Yeah, let's talk to Philip Landau, who's an employment lawyer from Landau Law Solicitors, and find out uh, how this even happened. Philip, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Good morning to you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, it just happened to be you know, <laughs> waiting on hold. Um, quite a weird one now. Caller Richard in Manchester's mm. Friends Parrot wins the most ah, obvious yes. Perrier moment. My brother's got a parrot, and when Adonis comes on, it says, Oh, no, not him again. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, isn't it? We've got to get that parrot on, by the way. Yeah. Must be a job for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we'll track him down. Uh, back to you now, Mike. You win the Delusion Award for this unlikely scenario. <laughs> I mean, one of the reasons I've always stayed away from the acting fraternity is that I'm scared of being nominated for an Oscar and having to sit through the ceremony. 
What are the other reasons? Well, I mean, look, I can't do it. That's the other reason. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm not very good at it. Um, Although some people think I act quite well on here. Yeah. Like a radio host. Um, fair play, yeah. Uh, should we hear a bit of Susan in Exeter? Why not, indeed? Uh, she wins Explorer of the Week award for discovering new planes. I haven't been to Sydney for a long time. I've heard it's really? very, very beautiful. It's it's very charming. But this fat burger concerns me. Um, I have been on a beach which is a bit nearer inland. Mm. Okay. Inland? And I walk. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. That was a quite an un- unpleasant conversation all round with the fat burger that she called yeah. it. <laughs> um, Pat in Stepney now. Yes, he wins the award for brevity for getting to his point nice and quickly. And he might be still suffering from the the, the trauma of that. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go. I'll be straight. You know, uh, cut a long story short. Yeah, go on. I, I... <coughs> <laughs> it's funny when people do that. I have to say. Well, I'm Pat. <laughs> Back to Susan. Take no in notice Exeter. of him. Yeah. Back to Susan in Exeter. She wins an old favourite by Linguist of the Week. I was explaining to Martha, one of your lovely ladies in the studio. Who? Look, if we look, I. Who? Don't start that, Martha. Oh, sorry. I thought you said master. <laughs> no, Martha. Ma- that Ma- is how you pronounce it in the Spanish Martha language. Martha. how you pronounce it actually, Martha. <laughs> Martha. Well, is I right. can't do that anyway. <laughs> I thought it was Magda. Um, <laughs> That's only for special friends. Oh, okay, another favourite now. I'm suspicious you're starting to do these on purpose, Mike. You win the impression if of the week that was true. for your take on the Duchess of Cornwall. I'm going to tell you something about Cuba in a moment. Apparently, Camilla Parker Bowles doesn't like the food there. I wonder what else she doesn't like. Doesn't she like that tapas? Don't like the chicken much. <laughs> Rice and beans, no thank you. I think that's how she speaks, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She said she didn't exactly. like the food. It's uncanny. And when uncanny. you say I'm doing it on purpose, I am actually doing it on purpose. <laughs> yeah. When I say this is how she sounds. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know, but I mean for the fair All oh, right, okay. Um, now for a completely different category. Mm. It's Mimic of the Week, and that goes to Mike in York. Well, the sun's always shining in paradise. Yeah, I know. It's a shame you're not there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> was he just doing same me? Laugh. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, people have that. They have that effect on people. Mm, it's contagious. Yeah. Uh, Charles in Cheltenham's throat wins the uh, stage fright award. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Let's talk to Charles, who's in Cheltenham. Wants to talk about the EU. Hello, Charles. Good morning. Good morning. You. What would you like to tell us? Well, very cross um, with um, situation. So I got a frog in my throat now. It's always the way, isn't it? <laughs> It's not actually always the way, either. I know, it very but, rarely I mean, happens. To be honest, I thought it was a bad phone line. I didn't realise he no. had a frog in his throat. No, it, and he, his voice was completely fine when we were speaking to him before, so it's just bad luck. Um, and it's a hat-trick for Susan this week. Oh, yeah. Her perrier, uh, final one, is for the best family-friendly descriptions. Mm. And I came across two items. One was a female sanitary protection item. I see. And a, a few feet up was an item that a gentleman might use when he's making love to a lady. Really? <laughs> she should work for the dictionary. She should, absolutely. I don't know what she's talking about, though. That's the only problem. <laughs> um, finally, now to this morning, mm. very much the presenter previous to the presenter previous ah. uh, to Richard Maidley, ah, Julia right. Hartley Brewer, is known around the office mostly for her composure, so it's no surprise that she's managed to win the perrier for most composed presenter. Mm. 
since when did sausage become such a big part of Valentine's Day? She asked and then realised what she said. <laughs> 7.36 is the time. Let's go Westminster Whispers. Rachel, the energy of the Times. I just think, I just want to, I think, forget uh, Westminster Whispers. Just that on loop. Um, <laughs> since when did sausage become such a big part of Valentine's Day? That's all I want to listen to on a Friday. Well, Matt Chorley, your Shocking. wish. Your wish is our command. Since when did sausage become such a big part of Valentine's Day? Since when did sausage become such a big part of Valentine's Day? Since when did sausage become such a big part of Valentine's Day? Since when did sausage become such a big part of Valentine's Day? Since when did sausage You're gonna be in a lot of trouble. Since when did sausage become such a big part of Valentine's Day? Since when did sausage It does just go on, you can first just fade it out. Okay then. I think you've made your point. Maybe save it for Valentine's Day, we can play it for Valentine's Day. Well, we may well be down in Westminster in the tent of shame. Yes. Mm. That's it. That's well, it for the Perry Awards. Thank you very much indeed. No. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. A lot of great calls this week. And I'm happy to say, uh, I'm very encouraged by the number of calls uh, that are coming in from people who are saying they've switched over uh, from that odious radio station uh, across town uh, where we uh, actually talk sense and they don't. And that's why so many people are coming here. And we're much friendlier as well. Much nicer to you, to be honest. Uh, let's talk to Susan, who's in Exeter, the winner uh, of three, count them, uh, Perrier Awards. Susan, yeah, very good. Good morning. To, is it afternoon, good morning, Susan? Michael. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon, Michael. I'm sorry. I do apologise. Don't worry. Uh, does, does that mean you're going to send me a bottle of Perrier water through the post? Because I love Perrier water. It's bubbly. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure what? if we can send it through the post due to okay, uh, security right. concerns. However, okay. um, if you want to buy one, by all means, yeah. um, you okay, know, send me fine. the bill. Let's. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. Let's move on. Um, all right. Subject, what year your geography uh, fact? The better than mine. What year did we see the Berlin Wall come down? It was the 1990s, wasn't it? 89. Pardon? Wasn't it 89? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's okay. not my geographical so, knowledge, that, by the way. That's my historical knowledge. Well, historical. Yeah. You've got knowledge in every area. So I have. Okay. Um, OK, so fine. So with the Irish backstop problem, I have a solution. Have you? Yes. That's good, because we've been looking for one of those for a while. Yeah. Well, they won't take any notice. They don't take any notice of people at my level down at ground level. Well, they should. Level. Well, they don't. That's why they're in a mess. I suggest we get rid of the Northern Irish, Northern Southern Irish border. Right. Bring it down and unite the country and forget the backstop. Forget everything. Let people talk to each other. It was a united country at one time. Mm. It was era. Um, it's a beautiful country. It Let is lovely, everybody yeah. Talk, yeah, and when when Theresa May goes to meet the, the Prime Minister of Dublin... Um, He's not the Prime Minister of Dublin, what, is he? He's the Prime Minister of Ireland. What is it? He's well, the Taoiseach. Prime Minister of Ireland. Taoiseach. OK. Well, that's his name. And the other one was Hockey. I can't pronounce the words. I'm sorry. Uh, I do apologise. What about Mary Robinson? Remember her? 
Well, no, 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 don't keep digressing because I can't cope. All right, fair enough. Bring the I've got a, I've got a question for you, actually, a bit. What? Bring the border down. Let everybody right. talk to each other. But I think the problem with that, Susan, I've got there's a slight Mm. flaw in your plan, right? Why the DUP, who are part of the government because Theresa May needs them to prop up her ailing majority, right? They don't want a united Ireland, do they? Well, she'll have to talk them round to it. Well, you can't talk them round. The DUP are absolutely and utterly, uh, you know, kind of driven by the fact that they have to have Northern Ireland. You have to get down to... Why? What's this advantage? Tell them well, because they're from the Protestant are. the Protestant minority in Ireland wanted to have a place where they could go and live, and that's how yeah. the historical Northern Irish counties were set up, in order so yeah. that the Protestants would be in the, minor, in the majority in a part of Ireland. We interfered with that, didn't we? We caused that. Well, Britain did, yes, that's right. Yes. So we can backtrack and say we're terrible. Well, you can't. Sorry. You can have your country back. Yes, we I can. I mean, I personally think a uh, United yeah. Ireland is a good idea. I think it is a good idea, but I think it's yeah. quite difficult. It's quite difficult to achieve. No. No. You just talk to people nice and say, look, this isn't it for you. It's a better plan. All it right. benefits you. Okay. Not us. Now, let me ask you another question before we go. Okay. Um, what have you got? Personal? No, no. What have you got in your fridge? I don't have a fridge. I'm vegan. I, I, you haven't I, got a I'm fridge? Vegan. No. I don't, I don't drink milk. I drink soya a bit. Right. And a bit well, what of about, cheese. Do you, not, do you not keep the cheese in the fridge? Not really. I, I eat it too quick. Do you? Have you got a larder? Yeah. No. It's a one-bedroom flat. What sort of car have you got? Sorry. No, I'm not going to do that. All right. Well, well I'm sorry. I can't get you to... The... You can ask me whatever you want. What do you want to ask me? Well, the reason I was asking you what was in your fridge is that there's a new dating app, oh. right? No, you make it's love and all app, that. Right, where they t- that you don't send a picture of yourself, yeah. you send a picture of what's in your fridge. But in your case, you haven't got a fridge, no, so... not much, no. Well, you I'm can't send a picture stuff. then. Well, no, but that, that doesn't mean that, you, that you're not a nice person, does it? It doesn't mean to say that my soul's empty. I've got lots of love for things. And yeah, the, but I think uh, you're going to have you're going to limit your dating uh, opportunities if you if you say to people, I haven't got a fridge, aren't you? Well, I've got some lentils. Lentils? Okay, great. Well, maybe send a picture of those. <laughs> I'll talk to Mark now, who's in Bristol. Thank you, uh, Susan. Uh, well done for winning three periods. Mark, in Bristol, very good uh, afternoon to you. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well, sir. What would you like to say? Good. I, I just wanted to say I'm a convert from uh, that other station. Tremendous. Which I think it's completely biased. Right. And, make, and tries to manipulate every turn they can about what we're supposed to think rather than... I remember an old, um, I remember an old um, sort of saying, a phrase, yeah. whereby years ago... Um, the TV and the radio used to tell the news. Yes. But now I think they make the news. Yes. So they actually manipulate us in every turn they can. Well, do you know, I would have always said that that was rubbish until quite recently. The, the, the referendum and the whole you know, leaving yeah. and remaining thing has totally opened yeah. my eyes to the way... Scary and I've worked, in, I've worked in the media all my life, Mark, and I can honestly yeah. genuinely say I've never had any bias politically whatsoever. But I'm no. now seeing it in other in other places. Yeah, and and I think the manipulation sometimes very subtle as well. Yeah. Because um, you know you think, anyway. Um, yeah. All I was there's a couple of things. One one was uh, trying to pick a political party, which you know to go forward with. Yeah. And um, I think um, that unless you've got a good opposition, it does actually um, mean you don't get a good government because mm. they have they feel very safe and secure that there's nobody to come in and take their. Uh, 
you know, take their wind so they can actually make whatever policies they like and they get more and more extreme. Yes. So I think it's a shame that, you know, the Labour uh, aren't actually more together and more, if you like, um, you know, representing the people who voted for them. And I think Mr Corbyn's letting them down by not actually, uh, you know, flying the flag of those people, whatever they're, um, you know... But the the other thing was is um, with the Scottish National Party, mm. the SNP. I mean, we that they are actually in um, government up there, and uh, I just wonder what would happen if we had a um, is it English National? Um, well, I mean, there party? are there are some people I would say in this country who would quite like to see Scotland getting independence, but I'm not one of them. I yeah. think we I think we are no. better off as a, as a united. A series of I countries. Do. I, love, I love the Scots yeah. and all that, but sometimes it's like we're trying to keep a relationship going whereby all they want to do is walk out the door. But do you know what's it's... interesting, Mark? Here's what's interesting, and, and yeah. I, I'm going to draw a parallel here between the Leave Remain argument and the, and the independence argument in Scotland. The, you hear yeah. all the time from people who want independence in Scotland. You don't hear from the people who don't want it, right? Because they don't say very much, because they're quite happy yeah. with what they've got. But actually, Absolutely. they're in the majority. There's more people yeah. in Scotland who want to stay in the United Kingdom than want to leave it, right? And in yeah. the same way, you only hear down here most of the time from the Remain crowd who are always banging yeah. on about how they, they're in the majority. Well, they're not in the majority. They lost the referendum. Are we being manipulated again now? Well, Mike, what, I'm saying, what I'm saying, Mark, is we're hearing from the most noisy people yeah. in both those debates are the yeah. people who lost. Yes. You know? Yes. So we yes. shouldn't yes. be listening to them. No, no, that's true. The, the other little thing I wanted to just... Yeah. into the mix Go on. is um, that on the housing front, um, I was listening to an article by Lord Green. He was talking to Nigel Farage, but yeah. he was talking about because he was commissioned by the government to uh, look at the um, the immigration issue in relation to housing, and he did a, uh, a thesis or whatever you want to want to call it um, uh, from the beginning of I think two thousand up to nearly the present day. Right. And found that the growth in this country of immigration was about seven million. Okay. And he said that the uh, in looking into that growth, eighty-two uh, percent of it was due to immigration. Right. So I think if you took that as a number, like that chap before, we're talking about doing the numbers. Yeah. Um, he said that we'd have to build a house every five minutes <laughs> just to accommodate, and you're just thinking. Well, how is our own, and I'm not being nationalistic or anything like that, because I would never, ever put anybody down for trying to better themselves. Yeah. But uh, how are our own, you know, kids and stuff ever going to get that opportunity to get onto that ladder? Because, as you know, supply and demand only pushes the prices up as well. That's true. And if they go into private sector, they're paying huge amounts for rented accommodation, which means they can't get, uh, have families until later and such like. And, it, it, and I think the impact of, of housing is is on obviously schools, hospitals, um, you know, all the all the services that we yeah. need um, is actually something that is crushing the country um, economically and obviously service wise. And no, we're, you're absolutely right, Mark. Thank you very much indeed for the call and welcome to the uh, radio station. It is a brilliant radio station, I have to say. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.